Good afternoon everybody and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Good afternoon beautiful and amazing human beings. Welcome to Transcending Together and those of you who have stayed on after my music show. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, interesting interesting times at the moment but for now um, let's just go with our usual. It's a hello from me. And it's a hello from Lee. So Lee, um, what news? Any any um, any interesting things? Did you get some snow this week? Um, no, uh, and we didn't. We didn't really. Well, we had a lot of rain, but it wasn't like biblical flooding kind of rain like in the rest of the country. What about down where you are? Um, <clears throat> yeah, we did get some snow actually. It was oh. quite pleasant. Nice little little um, scattering of snow around. Um, not a lot, not enough to shut the schools down, but <laughs> it was nice nonetheless. Yeah, so we don't really have much of an agenda for you guys today. We thought definitely we should talk about politics because so much is going on in that area. And we also thought we should have a chat about my book. <laughs> So as I mentioned last yeah, as I mentioned last week, I'm busy writing my book. And it's interesting insofar as last time when we were chatting about it, I was saying how because of section twenty-eight and because of people not telling me stuff that I really ought to have known, I sort of ended up in um on a track, a railway track if you like, that took me so not not really in the best direction and i think to a certain extent much of what happened after that and you know accepting of course that life is life and you make the best decisions you can in the moments that you have to make them i mean nobody sets out to make a bad decision right but obviously sometimes <laughs> they end up that way and it was just interesting because you know we were talking about section 28 last week and how absent available information you know in some ways i could kind of put that on other people and other circumstances i've now got to the point in my book where i'm writing about the period of time when i went back first back to zimbabwe and then wasn't able to stay on in zimbabwe at the time as far as i knew which then resulted in me going down to South Africa, which is somewhere um, I was able to live because I had um, South African permanent residence. And I was thinking about the opportunity possibly that that presented because, of course, 94 South Africa, L LGBT rights were front and center. The, the new constitution was a progressive constitution there wasn't the same, you, you know, I think when the ANC government came to power, they just wanted to get rid of anything that was discriminatory. So I think to a large extent, had I been perhaps more courageous, I may have made different decisions. And one of which is my very best friend, Murray, who I grew up with, he was my next door neighbor. Now, I didn't know at the time, he hadn't come out to me. And I didn't come out to him or I didn't, I never had that conversation with him. Um, he did come out to me a few years later. And I think it was mainly due to Facebook because as people were starting to connect with other people, I think our generation then started possibly telling people because, you know, we needed our lives to be congruent with the, the the stories we were telling at the time on Facebook. So, and then obviously, if other people on Facebook knew you from, you know, the gay side of things, then you would sort of out yourself anyway, one way or another. So, so he didn't come out to me for a few years later, for, until a few years later. But when I think about it, and I think about that moment and that time, that was when had I had the courage at the time to have that conversation with him, he may have, he may not have, but he may have said, well, actually, 
now that you mention it, actually. And then I, you know, whereas I missed out on the opportunity to become part of the LGBT scene in London in the early 90s, I really lost the opportunity to to join the LGBT community in Johannesburg in 1994. And that's on me. And that was a really hard thing to write because had I had the courage, now I know I'm not being hard on myself and I know I, I was still just trying to do the best with what I had and I still didn't have sufficient vocabulary necessarily to talk about the things that I needed to talk about or how to talk about them. But I mean, it would have been a very simple conversation to have had with Murray to say to him, oh, you know, this is driving me mad. Did, why? You know, do you ever feel like this? I mean, he was supposed to be one of my, well, he was, that is, one of my oldest and best friends. And I couldn't have that conversation with him, which, yeah, I do kind of beat myself up a bit about that um, because I could have, I, I couldn't, can't, you know, the early 90s thing I can put on other people, these were my decisions, these were my choices that I was making. And it's been really hard writing that, those chapters. Um, it's been very taxing. Um, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, um, 1994, South Africa, that was when the ANC had first come in, into power and we were still living um, under the mindset that you didn't talk about being gay um, or anything like that. It was still very much kind of still a bit underground, although it was like permeating up, up to the top. So a lot of people that you went to school with, because um, I know this was true for myself, you didn't really have those kind of conversations yet. It It wasn't like, particularly in South Africa, I think, it wasn't like main, mainstream. And it was only, a, for me, it was a bit later that I, about five years later, that I came into contact with um, the LGBT community down in Durban. And it was almost by accident because I was working at the time where a lot of my friends were nurses and there just seemed to be quite a lot of lesbian nurses at the time. So, yeah, I think the important thing is to acknowledge that this one was perhaps on you rather than it being the direct consequence of somebody else, but also not to be too harsh on yourself and, you know, beat yourself up too much because I don't think, I mean, your, your friend Murray didn't come out to you either. And like I say, I think it was a difficult time in trying to express yourself. Yes, the laws were different, um, or, or the laws had changed, but I think it was still something that people really didn't talk about very openly. Yeah, I suppose it was only because the new constitution would only have been passed after they came to power, right? So, yeah, so they wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily have been the law there and then. In, in when I was there, so October 94. I mean, I can't remember exactly what the timeline was. Um, but it's interesting what you say, you know, being there over the transition. I mean, there was a lot of concern and scare, scaremongering, if you like. What, what did this new black government mean for white South Africans and yeah, maybe it just wasn't. It was going to be civil agenda. war. Remember, it was all going to be civil war and fear mongering yeah. and doom and yeah, collapse of civilization as we knew it. We know it. Yeah, the end of the world. Yeah, um, so maybe maybe it is fair enough. I mean, I was, but I, you know, I was twenty four by then, and I know twenty four is not old, but I wasn't a kid anymore. You know, and. Yeah, I just do. It's been very hard confronting probably the, the the first of a number of very poor decisions <laughs> that I made thereafter. Um, but yeah, you know, so, such as it is, and and I'm not intending to beat myself up over it. It's just been very hard to to revisit that and and confront it, I guess. And it's something which I think 
you know, we all think in different ways. I express myself in writing. That's how I choose to do it. And yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> I guess it's good because when it starts sort of getting on top of me, I can just, you know, shut down <laughs> pages and take a break. Um, so yeah, uh, but it's coming along. It's coming along. I'm, I'm at, I've now met the word threshold for a, for a novel um, <laughs> from a publisher's perspective. So, and I'm not even done yet. So, <laughs> so still lots to talk about. Um, you mentioned politics. Um, so there's a there's an election in South Africa this year, isn't there? What's that about? What, what are you hearing? Election. About? Yeah, I'm just thinking. There, there's an election in just about every country um, this this year. Um, I mean, all over Africa, there's um, Algeria, Botswana, Chad, Camus, Ghana, Mauritius, Namibia, South Africa, America. You've got um, elections happening in Brazil and Canada and obviously in the United States. And, you know, it just, it just seems to be an election year, you know, and I know most parliaments or governments run for in a four or five year cycle but it just struck me the other day at just how many people are going into an election cycle this year quite astonishing that there's so many places yeah we always talk about tipping points don't we and i wonder to yeah. what extent it's it is a tipping point <clears throat> someone was saying um well it's an even year so that's interesting um, <laughs> I mean, what does it add up to from a numerology point of view? Two plus four is six. So it's an eight year. I wonder what an eight year is. 2024. Hmm. Be interesting. That's the year of the dragon in Chinese. It was. Well. The, and so it was the Chinese New Year just over, over the weekend, I think. So it's the, the year of the Sussex dragons as well, then, obviously. Ah, there we go. <laughs> the year of the um, I certainly hope it will be. Um, that's my plan anyway. Uh, we can maybe talk a bit about that, actually. But, yeah, let's go to a quick break. And when we come back, let's unpack some of these general elections. See you in a bit. Did you know we've got an absolutely wonderful merch store? You can buy merch from the show. You can buy this mug, which supports my rugby team, the Sussex Dragons. This is one of my favorites. This is best part of waking up, turf tears in my cup. We also have t-shirts, which support my rugby team, and t-shirts, which express our dissatisfaction with England rugby for the way they've treated trans people. And for you bikers out there, we've got our Sisters on Steel Motorcycle Club. Scan this QR code or follow the links on tigergirl.substack.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So we were just talking before the break about the slew of general elections which are coming up. And of course, the one for us um, on Mud Island is obviously the UK general election, which I think is going to be an interesting one. Um I think there's a lot to think about in terms of that. And have you heard about this thing around um, uh, tactical voting? Have you heard much about that? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the, the concept of tactical voting. And I think... Whether you like it or not, I think tactical voting is going to play a lot in this year's UK general elections. You know, and I think the days of, you know, your your parents voted Conservative or Labour and their parents before them. And, you, you know, I think that those kind of days are gone as to oh, my parents, grandparents, whatever, used to vote for Labour. So I'm going to vote for Labour. I think people are, are thinking more about who, who they're going to vote for. I also think people are very tired of the um, Conservative government and they want to change and, and make a big change. And I think people will 
perhaps wouldn't have ever voted Labour will lend their vote to Labour this time around. Previously, um, people who wouldn't have voted Conservative necessarily lent their vote to the Conservatives because of the issue of Brexit. But yeah, I think it's interesting and I do think tactical voting is going to play a huge part of it. Just so that a party doesn't get in or, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was quite a long time ago, it feels like, you know, if you're saying there like Brexit. Yeah, it really sort of brings home just how long it's been since we were last asked our opinion on who should be leading us. And we've had one prime minister after another foisted upon us. And I do think it did have a lot to do with Brexit. I think Labour were a bit unequivocal about it, which is, you know, unfortunate because I think actually the reality is a lot of Labour's support base felt hard done by with the open borders. So it was an issue which had Labour been more in touch with their voters, they they could have afforded, I think, to take a more equivocal stand on it and say, yeah, we we, we never supported the EU in the first place. I mean, Labour was very anti the common market and and all of those things, precisely because it reduced their power over the workforce. You know, they wanted everybody um, to be a Labour member, a Labour part of a union, which, you know, we're swinging back towards that now where I think people are beginning to realise that that's actually the safest place to be by virtue of the way if you don't employ people, then you shouldn't vote Tory. (laughs) You know, that's the bottom line. Unless you're an employer, you're an employee. You know, there's a lot more of us than there are of them. And the thing which astounds me, though, is the extent to which there are people in the LGBT community who vote Tory, which I don't really understand where that that comes. Well, I, I think I know where it comes from. Um, but I'd be interested to get your take on that first. Yeah, so my my perspective is um, the whole free market aspect, capitalism, but not corporatism, which is what we've got now. You know, if I'm prepared to work hard, make money, then good on me. Um, not what the, the corporations are doing because we are so far removed from true capitalism that it's just not funny anymore. The other aspect of it is if I'm going to work so hard and I'm going to make a good life for myself and make good money for myself, I don't want to be giving you know over half of it away into the government in, in taxes. So I think from that perspective, the idea of a small government and lower taxes is very appealing for, for... Yeah, I think that's got... I do think that's got something to do with it. There is a lot of fear that, you know, Labour will will bring in like a 50% tax bracket. What people don't realise, though, is that most of them, 90% of them, would never be in that tax bracket anyway. You know, you're talking about people who have an income i think you know when when they last sort of looked at like if you look at like france and the scandinavian countries that are are socialist their top tax bracket yes is very high but you only hit that when you on earnings over like a hundred thousand pounds a year so how many of us is that and it's only the portion of your income that's over so it's you know the first bits are taxed at one rate and and it's as you earn more so for most people they don't seem to understand that that it's not going to affect them actually so so i think that's one part of it i think also like the bankers owe this country a huge debt so certainly their bonuses need to be taxed at a very high rate to pay us back you know they've never the banking industry has never paid this country back for what it cost us and yet we, you know, everybody just sits there and takes it when they paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds in bonuses. Bonuses, which, you know, lest I remind folks, are attached to income that didn't create anything. In an obscure way, it does, because obviously the banking industry generates 
money which is linked to other industries so they can buy new equipment and invest in you know new offices and things like that so i get that i get that there is a portion of bank income that actually comes from making money available but what you were talking about you know this corporatocracy where the banks are borrowing from the government at near to zero percent but when they lend that out to businesses and stuff for them to expand and grow, you know, they're charging 8 10% on that. So the question is, how much is enough? What, what should, what is it worth to society, that premium? Um, and yes, there is bad debt and, and some people fail to pay their debts. And, but that's, that's normal. It's like if you own a, a supermarket little corner shop or whatever shrinkage is part of your cost of business people coming and nicking stuff shoplifting and so on so bad debt is just shrinkage for them so yeah i think that's part of it the thing i think as well with is 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 an analysis that i read a while ago around the um they were saying that as people get older they tend to become more conservative because their ability to absorb shocks to the system, whether it's financial or whatever, diminishes. So if you're over a certain age, which, you know, a lot of the gay people who who were youngsters, you know, our age group, we were youngsters under Section 28. So we're quite, um, I, I guess, gun-shy, if you like, about shocks mm -hmm. to the system. So if housing collapses, you know, if there's a big house price collapse, then that's going to affect my ability to sell my family home and buy a retirement home. I think to that extent, people become more, well, literally conservative. They, they want a government that's going to just keep things as it is. Don't rock the boat because yeah. what's in it for me? That I can get. I think young people who are planning to vote Tory, I just think, <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> Let me know in the comments below because I just, yo, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think perhaps those people are just, well, you know, my parents voted Tory, so I'm going to vote Tory. Um, I don't think there's a lot of thinking there. But then again, we've discussed this on the show before, I think, the younger generations, because they were born into the world of the internet and they have little computers in their pockets, I think they have that information that we necessarily didn't have and they can form their own opinions and we've mentioned it before when you've mentioned about you know lowering the the voting age and things like that because i do think they have the capacity and the maturity to make informed decisions whereas you know we didn't have that information um available to us when when we were younger exactly um there is no excuse <laughs> I mean, I think just getting back to the tactical voting thing, I think what's interesting about that is the where where you live. Um, have you have you checked the websites, the various different websites that that show you? You know, because maybe where you live, because I know you sort of up north, well, halfway north. And to me, anything beyond the Watford Gap is the north. And, the north. <laughs> um, but but what's the the status quo where you are? What's the general sort of more Lib Dem or is it? No, it's Labour? very much conservative, very much conservative um, in, in the kind of like surrounding areas. And they have been conservative for years and years and years. Uh, very, very strong conservative. But then you wonder, you know, are the Tories, are they getting more than 50% of the vote? I guess that's, that's the critical thing really, isn't it, with tactical voting? Because if they just first passed the post, maybe the the sum of the difference, the sum of the others. I mean, in an ideal world, what should happen is you run the election. If nobody gets over 50% of the vote, you have a runoff between the top two, right? I mean, that to me makes the most sense because then people have a choice. They can say, well, you know, I voted Lib Dem on my first round but Labour came in second, now I've got, now I can make an informed decision. Do I either not vote, you know, I'm, I'm never Labour, I'm definitely not going to vote Labour, 
And if I can't vote Lib Dem, I'm not going to vote Tory. It would allow people to have that that second option where they're saying, okay, well, and maybe you could even do it as as a single thing, you know, like my first choice is Labour, my second choice is is mm. whatever Lib Dem. But I think this idea where there's no clear winner, where you can actually win control of of a seat with thirty percent of the electorate. I think that's what's caused a lot of people to sort of self-disenfranchise because they're just like, well, I know the Tories are going to get 30% or 33%. So what is the point? Exactly. Because, yeah. yeah and, and that's the problem, you know. I think the – we I, I don't think this country can afford to go on with the electoral system that it has. But at the very least, we need to – really promote tactical voting. So in the next break, I'm going to just have a quick uh, squiz on the internet um, because there's two, I think there's two main sites where you can literally go in and put your postal code and it'll actually tell you how you, sh- how you should vote tactically in order to keep the Tories out. And I think that has to be our number one objective. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of, let's go to a quick break and uh, we'll be back with more on that after the break see you in a bit the world's largest radio station for the trans community trans radio uk welcome back beautiful and amazing human beings so the um sites which we found one is tacticalvote.co.uk that one's nice and easy just put your your, um postal code in and your constituency um mine shows up as green but that's because Caroline Lucas got like 52.26% of the votes in the last election. But now she's standing down and I wonder, I would hope not, but I wonder if people, you know, was it more voting for the personality rather than the, the party? Which I know we've talked about. We've talked about vote for the message, not the messenger. And I'm not sure that many people are necessarily aligned with the green message especially given that they haven't been particularly kind to us trans people within their party uh but then neither of labor to be honest it is a bit of this is this election is definitely going to be a bit of just hold your nose and and just do it <laughs> hey what do you think you you were saying that yours is unfortunately very solidly yeah, so in the constituency that I'm in, it's Banbury, and in the 2019 elections, the Tories got 54.3% of the vote, and in 2017, they got 54.23% of the vote. So if I go on to tactical voting, both of those sites that we mentioned previously are, are saying I should vote Labour. Yeah, I suppose... You should. Yeah, I'm just looking at that now as well. How much of that do you think was was Brexit? How much of a Brexit factor do you think there was in that? Have they have they ever not voted Tory? Um, I th- I think if I remember correctly, voting Tory in in this particular um, constituency is like goes back years. Mm. You know. Decades, not years, decades. Um, and I do think a lot a lot of it was tied to, to Brexit, the last two general elections. A lot of it was tied to Brexit. Um, again, we were voting for Brexit constituency. Yeah. But I think we need to be careful about tactical voting and, and, and things like that because what we don't want is another coalition government um i don't know that i disagree i'm not sure i agree with you on that i actually think the the thing which upset so many voters back when the lib dems threw their hat in with the tories was that the majority of lib dem voters were never tory you know, their whole thing was, 
there, there wasn't an alignment, if you like. Whereas if you look at the Lib Dems and Labour now, in terms of a coalition, I think it could work. I think there is an opportunity to... Because I, I think where, where a Labour-Lib Dem coalition would work is the Lib Dems would pull Labour a little bit more to the centre and it would allow the people who are a little bit more further left to pull the other way. And I think, you know, we would generally land on a consensus that's probably the, the sort of best for everyone type of thing. I don't know. I mean, I think it's... I'm not completely averse to the idea of a um, of a coalition. I think that's fine. I'll take it. As long as it's not the Tories, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The way Labour is at the moment, you might as well do a Labour-Tory um, coalition. Exactly, you yeah, because there's not much splitting them, is there? <clears throat> no, especially not on the issues that matter to us as a community. I mean, the other one over the over the pond, I've been staying quite close to all the stuff going on with Donald Trump at the moment, and I thought it was quite funny. Did you see the news stories about him being smelly? Have you seen any no. of that? <laughs> smelly, so apparently, like old man smelly or what? Yeah, but like more like basically the, the one guy said it sort of, and this was a, a, a Republican um, congressman, um, and he 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 released this editorial where he is saying, "I can't imagine. I don't understand why no one's talking about this." But he actually really smells, and um, so stinky Trump. Trump smells. All those things were trending on on X, and it was just hilarious because <clears throat> you know a personality like Trump needs. You know, they, they're so ego-driven that to have anything that broad, you know, even narrowly or broadly means, you know, talks to them as not being perfect, yeah. you know, completely triggers them. So, and then, you know, more people have come out and said, yeah, it's kind of like a mix between butt crack, smelly feet, makeup, <laughs> soiled diapers and um yeah so garlic it's, it's breath quite... for good measure hey and garlic breath for good measure i'm sure yeah so yeah it's um i mean funny but you know it's worth having a laugh about i mean you wouldn't normally want to pull down the messenger quite so badly but but that's exactly what he does to everybody so he's getting what what he you know he's getting what he puts out and getting what he deserves because that's what he he would do that you know if if biden smelled and um <clears throat> so yeah i think it's quite an interesting thing they've got going on over there because obviously you've got all of this um all of these court cases and everything is 92 charges and we've actually um We've been in touch with Carly. We're going to have her back on um, soon um, to to chat in more detail about over the pond related stuff. But I do think that there's unfortunately what happens there has a very real um, effect on us here. And I think I, I've often thought, you know, if America wants to be the world's policeman and wants to go around the world bullying places into democracy uh, or their version of it, then we should all get a vote. <laughs> <laughs> because whoever's the president is going to have an effect on our life one way or another. We should actually be entitled yeah. to vote. I don't know. What do you think about that? Should there be an international coalition of voters? So what? We have a one world government? No, thanks. <laughs> no, they can have their government. We just get a say in it because they're... You know, because what they choose to do has a profound impact on it, on everyone else, everywhere in the world. You know, the way they interfere with, with foreign countries and send their big aircraft carriers around and, you know, bully people into 
doing things their way, I think we should have a say in them because whoever's the president has a very real effect on the rest of the world. I mean, it's almost a de facto one world government in a way, you know, where the only opposition, there is opposition, obviously, China, Russia, the BRICS that we've talked about, you know, absent full scale armed conflict between the big West and the big East, we are just left to suffer the consequences of their actions. And Israel is a perfect example of that. And I was actually watching some commentary on this the other day, and someone was saying, you know, they're a never Trumper, they would never vote for Trump. But then they're very upset with the way Biden has handled the Israel thing. And then it becomes a question of, you know, how can you honestly, if you sympathize with the Palestinians, and you recognize the way America hegemoniacally <laughs> impose their will on the rest of the world, what on earth do you do? And I, I think they've got a very similar challenge to the one that we have, where you end up just holding your nose and going for the lesser of two evils. What do you think? Yeah, again, yeah, I, again, I think tactical voting is going to come in um, in America a lot. Um, do you think Biden will actually run, or do you think he's going to pull out with ill health? Well, he does go running. I mean, he's a lot fitter than Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also had a yeah i when i was talking about the whole thing with trump being smelly i mean when he was first made president and people made jokes about the fact that trump is actually english slang for fart yeah so it seems to have been quite prescient actually yeah i mean i don't know they're both geriatric they're both over 80 yeah you know, is this the best america can do i think that's exactly. the thing that 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 makes me sad is that, you know, the boomers are still very much in control of, of power in America. And it's like, you know, they're senators. There's no term limits on senators and congressmen and women. So they can sit there, Mitch McConnell, who's barely able to have a conversation without zoning out. We'll probably still get returned to the Senate by the voters because he comes from a red or blue. They're the other way around, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, the, the so Republicans are the blues. No, so the Republicans blue, are the reds. Sorry, they're the reds. Yeah. So if you come from a secure red state, yeah, I mean, Mitch McConnell could, could pitch up on an oxygen bottle in a wheelchair, barely able to to communicate and still get elected to the Senate. So... I think that's part of the problem is that principle around no term limits have allowed them to lock out the Gen X. And we're the ones who are sort of looking at it and saying, what about us? You know, why? they haven't allowed anyone to come through. I think that's the point is they've made sure that the only younger people allowed through the doors are people who, um, you know, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Bobbitt, who are just complete nutters. They've been allowed in because they are that they are extreme. Whereas the Democrats, I think, have tried to be a little bit more circumspect about who they let in. But but then again, that's on their side has created this vacuum where you don't, you know, you've got millennials like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. You know, she's really progressive, but she's a millennial. They you know, where's their Gen X contender? Where's their, you know, 40, 50-year-old contender coming with great ideas? I mean, I love Bernie Sanders' platform, but he was also geriatric. Yeah, I mean, I think they've got a Hobson's choice there as well. But it just has to be never Trump. You know, it's like for us, it's never Tory. We need the, we need the never Trump because he would be an absolute disaster. You know, if it was limited only to America, I would say have him. Have at it, Haas, you know. <laughs> you, get the, <laughs> you get the government you deserve. But the thing is, it doesn't only affect them. It affects the rest of the world. And that, to me, that's a problem. We're going to go quick break, and we'll be back for the last segment. <laughs> See you in a bit. Did you know we've got an absolutely wonderful merch store? You can buy merch from the show. You can buy this mug, which supports my rugby team, the Sussex Dragons. 
This is one of my favorites. This is best part of waking up, turf tears in my cup. We also have t-shirts which support my rugby team and t-shirts which express our dissatisfaction with England rugby for the way they've treated trans people. And for you bikers out there, we've got our Sisters on Steel Motorcycle Club. Scan this QR code or follow the links on tigergirl.substack.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So we were talking just before the break about um, stuff going on over the pond. Did you pick up on those stories about the Jeffrey Epstein lists and documents? Did you see that? Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. I've been following along. Um, the fact that a lot of people had said, well, it's, it's not fair because, you know, um, his client list, those people are being protected and it's not fair and all the rest of it. And it it was correct that um, you had all these documents redacted and, and sealed and things like that. And then towards the end of December, one of the judges ruled that um, the documents are can be made available. So a lot of documents um, have been made available now and people are getting a bit hysterical about who's on the list and who's not on the list and Trump's not on the list and blah, 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 blah. Um, but of course, it's just shone a light on Prince Andrew again uh, and his involvement with Jeffrey Epstein. You know, there's there was some speculation going on around about Christmas that, you know, maybe he's being let back in under his brother, the king, because he's appeared with the family at Christmas time and Fergie had appeared with him at Christmas time and now it seems even less likely with these latest sort of allegations that Prince Andrew will come back into popularity as as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've never really understood how people have like this visceral reaction to him going to church with his family on Christmas Day. You know, to me, that's fine. I, I don't have an issue with that. He's family. I mean, he isn't the kind of uncle you'd want to leave around your children. But it, it, why does it surprise people <laughs> that he was hanging out with his family over Christmas? I mean, I think that's that side of things doesn't really bother me because it's it doesn't that wouldn't re- that doesn't affect us in any way. That's about him and his relationship with his own family. I think bringing him into public life, I, I don't think Charles will do that. I think it's a, that would be a step too far. Too far, really yeah. Do. Yeah, I think they they would really struggle. And then, yeah, I think with these, it's not so much new revelations because I think everybody knew there was more to it than we were being told and that was being let on and, I think what, for me, what was interesting is that, you know, again, American politics, Donald Trump was actually on the list. He he was on the flight logs for on Epstein's private jet. So, you know, he was definitely involved and, you know, he's spoken in the past about, you know, because they were both sort of from Florida or were both living in Florida. So <clears throat> there has been, there was an association between them. There isn't anything, there's no sort of smoking gun like there was with Prince Andrew, where you've actually got photos of Trump with with youngsters. But, you know, on, on the right, they're saying, yeah, see, Bill Clinton was on there, Bill Clinton was on there. And one commentator who I thought was really, was really good on this, they said, yeah, but Biden's not. Biden's not on the list. It's like, yes, Bill Clinton was, but I think everybody knows what kind of a weirdo he was i mean yeah, he, he he, it wasn't scandals. a surprise yeah. yeah and that had been hinted at long ago when the flight logs were were leaked so really? that yeah. wasn't a surprise that wasn't new information the fact that donald trump's on there and biden isn't i think does speak to perhaps the relative decency of the two people you know biden is a politician but I don't think, I think, you know, it's like if you're going to trust someone with you running your country, I think he's a much more stable, if not a stable genius like Donald Trump, um, he is more stable. 
so so that's the thing there but yeah i wasn't particularly surprised i don't think it told us anything we didn't already know or suspect or no, true anyway so. yeah yeah well that's politics hey well so this year is the year of the dragon <laughs> as lee was saying at the top of the show and I want to use this little segment now to just talk some more about the Sussex Dragons, what we're trying to achieve this year. So the part of the reason why I started writing the book, or in my mind, the idea was to write a book and, you know, which tells my story, but also the story of how my, my uh, contribution to ensuring the legacy of trans rights for the Gen Xs, because I don't think we've done enough. Um, so it's my own way of, of making a contribution, if you like. And so the creation of the Sussex Dragons was a really important step, I thought, because, and it is controversial, because what, I, what I'm doing in creating the team is I'm creating it as a trans women's team. But we have spoken about this before, and if people haven't heard me talk about this before, and this is the first time you're hearing about it, let me explain. The RFU, when they made their decision to ban trans women from the women's game, they came up with, they said there's only two categories. There's the male category, which is defined as people who were assigned male at birth. The female category is people who were assigned female at birth. There is a loophole, though, because as part of the whole misogynistic approach to rugby, you know, that women are weaker and more frail than men, men or people assigned male at birth, which includes trans women, can't play with the women. But women can, if they want to, play with men. They can play in the men's category. So this is where I got to thinking about actually... The best way forward is to create a team under that regulation, which is players who are assigned male at birth, which is all trans women, <laughs> like, like it or not, <laughs> for, for, the time, for, for the time being and probably for the foreseeable future, you will still only have two genders on your birth certificate. So if you're assigned male at birth, which is every trans woman, you can play in that category, but also players who were assigned female at birth can play in that category. They just need sign off from their club to do so. So what that means in simple terms is women can play with men. So women can play on a trans women's team if it's a trans women's team, but trans women can't play on a women's team. But the end result is the same thing, is you have trans women and cis women playing together. And that's, so, so the Sussex Dragons is all about how do we make that happen? And I've got two goals for this year. My first goal is to hold some kind of a tournament in memory of Brianna Jai and in support of the charity that has been set up in her name, Peace in Mind. And I have had discussions with the charity and they are, <laughs> they're basically, as long as you do all the work, you can put our name on it, that's fine. <laughs> so that's my first goal. The second goal is to take a cohort of players to the Bingham Cup tournament, which is being held in Rome, uh, I think September, October, some, somewhere there, maybe a bit earlier. I need to check the dates. <laughs> so um, at this stage, we have a contingent of four, but we've got time. <laughs> and the idea is, yeah, let's, I just figure if, if we build it, they will come. And if people know, if trans women know that there is somewhere where they can be accepted as a woman and play a game that is eminently available to to women with women as a woman 
that's the environment I want to create for them. Um, the second goal, oh no, that was it, yeah. And then the third one is I still intend to launch legal action against the RFU. So that's still going to happen. We're just waiting for a bit of research to come through before we go um, on with that. And I think that's going to be significant research. So watch this space. But yeah, that's um, that's the plan. What do you think, Lee? And and finish the book and publish the book. Yes, hopefully. Yes. Um, <laughs> depends. The, the book is called... Um, the Road to Rome, a transgender story of adversity to triumph. So I guess it will depend on my definition of triumph. But yeah, that's on the list as well. <laughs> what do you th- <laughs> Do you want to add anything? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and I think what you're doing is, uh, and we've discussed this privately before, it, it might be too late for you to benefit from from playing rugby again but you just want to make sure that there's this legacy for the youth who are disenfranchised and who are, are banned from from playing and we've spoken on the show about mental health and how fantastic it is for your mental health to be involved in sports and in teams and, and things like that so um yeah that's that's what the um dragons are there for you know um it's gonna go smoothly (laughs) cool so any any final thoughts do you want to sort of wrap up the show i think it's been an interesting one considering we didn't really have an agenda (laughs) yeah no i just you know i think 2024 is going to be a very very interesting year and i know a lot of people probably say that at the beginning of of every year but I really think this is going to be one of those years that, like you mentioned before, it's a tipping point because there's a lot going on, not only geopolitically, but there's there's just so much going on. And it's going to be a very interesting year to see how all this pans out. Yeah, I, I said at the end of last year, I said um, I felt like this was going to be a good year and I'm determined that it's going to be a good year. so with that um thanks everybody for listening stick around after the news for mg's unorthodox jukebox and with that it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from lee bye for the community by the community transradio uk Hey, this is Pink. Trans Radio UK. Did you know we have an active and fun chat room?